So we're talking about psychology today. We're talking about the condition of man. On the first week that we, we studied, I looked at how God made us. So he made us both material and immaterial. So we looked at what that meant. You know, we were made in a body, but there's part of us which is immaterial. It's not made of uh, material substance. Our mind and our heart and our will are all immaterial parts of us. So we looked at what the Bible classifies as the immaterial parts of us, and we looked at our material parts. And we looked at the fall of man and how that affected the immaterial part of our lives and how it affected the material part of our lives. The condition of the fall had consequences and we discussed the consequences of the fall for us as humans today. So that's what we did in the first week. The second week, Liz actually told us about the amazing brain and he showed us how our brain works. She, she said that thoughts create a highway in our minds, a highway that produces behavior. So if we do something once, it's, it starts there and we do it twice as a track and after a little while there's a whole highway. And if it's all in the wrong direction, going in the, it's pretty hard to change that highway because that train of thought is, is heading in that way. And so following or changing our minds and following God's ways is usually quite difficult because you have to get off the highway, the broad way that leads to destruction and get on a new way, a new and living way, a narrow way that leads to life. And it's usually difficult. So we discussed that last week and we, we discussed the importance that we needed to take responsibility for the way we think and responsibility for our actions and thoughts. We need to be responsible um, with it to confess our sins, to willfully and firmly turn away from them and to practice new behavior. And that was uh, written by a guy called um, Larry Crabb who wrote a book on counseling. That's all part of psychology. Changing the way you are to what God wants you to be is part of Christian psychology. I mean, the word psychology just means the study of the mind. That's all it means. It's not loaded with any value. It's just a word that describes studying the the man or the mind of man. And uh, so Christian psychology studies the condition about humanity and then it studies how we can get out of the problems that we have. Ephesians chapter 4 verses 22 to 24 tells us this in a nutshell. It says, we were taught with regard to our former way of life, the life that we used to live when we were you know, living for the devil, to put off our old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of our minds and to put on our new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. But you really can't deal with psychology or biblical psychology without touching on the problem of suffering. Suffering is the big one. Most psychology in the world is built upon the whole idea that people are in pain and are suffering and they need to be helped. So secular psychology is all about getting help to people who are suffering and in pain without actually going to God. Man coming up with a solution for man's problems without God. So secular psychology deals with this whole idea of suffering. That's what it's built upon. You know, if you are going through pain and suffering, you go to see a counsellor or a psychologist or a psychiatrist and they'll give you drugs or they'll do something. They'll try and fix it some other way other than by going to God. Christian psychology says, you know what the problem is? The problem starts with your dislocation with God. Let's get that right first and then let's work through the problems as we go. And that's where the Bible comes very handy because it teaches us about this. So some people have used suffering as an argument against a loving God. If there is so much suffering in the world today and God is so powerful, why hasn't he stopped suffering? 
What I want to do is I want to, you to have a look at a, a movie clip that we found that really deals with this issue and, and, and puts that whole idea to bed so that we can, you know, can we move on? You know? So he, have a look at this clip, this YouTube clip about suffering. So with the fall of man came the suffering. It was man's freedom, his ability to have free choice, that gave him the option to sin. That's why he sinned. He sinned and then because of the sin, then suffering entered into the world. He said, when you eat of the tree of the fruit of, of the knowledge of good and evil, on the day that you eat it, that's the day that you will die. That's when suffering entered into the world. God spoke to Adam and, and he says, this is the suffering that's going to come upon your life. And so we're going to look through Genesis chapter 3 and just quickly go through those different things and talk about the different suffering that came because Man exercised his choice against God. He said they hid in the garden. There was the suffering of guilt, the hiding. I was afraid because I was naked, says um, Adam. They were suffering and there's a fear of exposure, fear of shame. He says um, there was enmity between the serpent's offspring and the woman's. That means there was hatred between the serpent's, serpent's offspring and the woman's. And that... It speaks to us of the war that there was going to be between Satan and humanity. And that in the end, that the victory would be Jesus. The head of humanity would be with Jesus and he would crush the head of the serpent. But there's going to be spiritual suffering. There's going to be suffering because of the spiritual conflict that's in our lives. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, God says, I will greatly increase your pains in childbirth. That was the the curse that uh, affected the woman after she had done the thing that she had done, God says, you know, you're going to suffer at birth. So if you want to have a blame someone for that, blame Eve. But, you know, suffering is just not the process of giving birth. The whole of our life and development is, is crowned with suffering because in the end we're going to die. And um, in Genesis chapter 3, 17 to 19, it says, Cursed is the ground because you... Because of you, through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and dust you will return. So we have here the suffering that's produced in having to work to produce a livelihood to work with the ground, to till it. It's, not, it's easy for us to do. It's, it's the sweat of our brows. And then the environment is not sort of cooperating with us. We find that there are weeds and there is stuff that eats the plants that we grow and, and it's difficult for us. And so we have what we call entropy happening in our, in our, in our um, environment. Entropy means running down and uh, coming to a place of disorder or decay. Everything is dying. The whole of creation is dying. The whole of creation is running down. That's why if you leave your garden and you don't tend your garden, it will turn to jungle. Uh, my dad, when he was in New, New Guinea, we built some houses, or he built some houses in New Guinea. And um, if you go back now and have a look where those houses were, you'll find jungle because in some places they, they, they haven't looked after them and the jungle has come and taken over them again. And so it's just it's just gone back to decay and disorder, chaos. It runs down. The whole of the universe, the whole of, of everything you know is in the process of decay. That's the product of fall and, it, and it, 
This is what it says. So these are the sufferings that we have. Suffering of guilt, suffering fear, exposure and shame, suffering of spiritual conflict, suffering at birth and throughout human growth, development and relationship, and suffering of work and environment, interby, gradual uh, decline in, into disorder. This is what it says in Romans chapter 8, verses 18 to 20. Paul says, I consider that the present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that is revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. That's us. Men and women who believe in Jesus, we're the sons of God. And creation is waiting for us to take our place in heaven. For creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope. So God actually put the curse over all of creation, over everything. He just put a curse over it. He said, you're going to die because of man's sin, because of man's rebellion. He says that creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into a glorious freedom of the children of God. So we're coming to a place which is not going to decay. We can't wait to get to heaven. We can't wait to get to that place that's paradise, that will never decay, that that death will have been taken away, suffering will have gone, there will be no more tears, all the eyes will be... We're waiting, we're looking forward to it, it's coming. And everybody said? Amen. Amen, we're looking forward to that. We know that the whole earth... Whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up until the present time. Not only so, we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. That's the resurrection from the dead, the redemption of our bodies. So the worldly expectations are for freedom from suffering. If you go into the world today, in society, our society actually says, you know, what you want to be is happy the most important thing in life is to be happy you have to be happy and you have to have pleasure what's good what's pleasing for your eyes what's nice for you what we look for in life is to get enough money so that we can have happiness and pleasure that's the goal of society so there's a there's a complete denial it's the lie that we've been told that suffering can be somehow done away with. If we could only earn enough money, we would have no problem. If we could only get to a place where society was like a utopia, like heaven on earth, we'd have no more suffering. That's the world's expectation. Uh, Everybody in the world wants to be happy. We all want happiness somewhere in our lives. But suffering is a contradiction to happiness and pleasure. It's It's opposite to it. And suffering is unavoidable. And the reason it's unavoidable is because God put it there. God put it there. He put suffering there. It came as a result of our sin. And when God puts something there, no man can take it away. It will stay there until God removes it. And they don't know why we get sick. And they don't know why our bodies die. Because we've been made to live forever. Our physical bodies have been made to live forever. And scientists don't know why we die. They've found out that it's a mutation in the DNA that actually produces it. And they're fiddling around with it to try and see if they can return it and to reverse it and see if they can get a place where man will not die. They're trying to undo what God has put there. Suffering. It's unavoidable. It's part of the human condition. No matter who you see on the bus that's going to work, When you're climbing on that bus, no matter who you are, every person in that bus has a problem. Everyone has some suffering because it's unavoidable. 
And suffering in the Bible is promised. So if we want the promises of God, one of the promises of God is you're going to suffer. Turn to your neighbor and say, welcome to real life, you're going to suffer. Does that make you happy? (laughs) Okay, now we have a major problem here because once you've accepted the fact that you're going to suffer, the realization of that fact is it's not going to be pleasant. There are certain things in your life that are going to come that are not going to be comfortable. They're not going to be pleasant. They're not going to be nice. You're not going to want them to be there. They're going to be a pain. They're going to be agonies. You're going to have to, in the end of it, you know, just accept that that is part of it. And you better learn to deal with it or it will destroy you. So God has promised suffering. He says, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. Notice the word granted. It's a gift. (laughs) You know, you say, I just want to have salvation. Jesus, save me from my sins. He says, I'll save you, but I'm going to give you more than you've ever believed. I'm going to give you more with this present of salvation. I'm going to give you the gift of life and the gift of suffering for it did you get that when you actually came to jesus you came to jesus some of you came to jesus because you were going through suffering and as you were going through suffering you said i need someone in my life to help me i'm going through much pain i'm i'm bound up i'm caught i'm in suffering sin has taken hold of me guilt is controlling my life i need to be free i am in bondage and jesus said i'll give you freedom but you will suffer not pleasant, but it's the truth. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 12 says, In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Jesus will be persecuted. So actually living a godly life for Jesus will actually set you aside, will, will put a sign on your head that says something like, Please kick this person. It's like when you're walking around with Jesus on the inside and you're a believer now and you're walking, working for God, it is like there's a sign over you that says this person needs to be punished because he's running against society. And society will look at you and will not accept the fact that you have something from God. And when you stand up and you preach the gospel and you stand up and you speak about the things, the enmity or the hatred between God and Satan will become evident and Satan will throw everything he has at you to try and stop you from bringing other people to the light. You will encounter persecution that could even take your life. That's the sort of suffering that's been promised to you. You say, well, I don't think I like that. Not much you can do about that. That's the package. You have suffering and go to hell and suffer for eternity. You have suffering and come to Jesus and he gives you life and you suffer because of that and you go to heaven. What's your choice? That's your choices. But to have no suffering is not a choice. It's not an option. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, it says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though some strange thing is happening to you. Peter says, what? don't be surprised. Look, the one that you're following got killed when he was 33. Slaughtered for his pure life. Why are you surprised? 
I mean, if he is the mentor of your life, if he's the one that you are following, if your Lord and your master showed you this is the path and he said, take up the cross and follow me, why are you surprised? As though something strange were happening. Did you think that when you came to Jesus, everything was going to be flowers and roses? Did you think that Jesus was going to take away all of the pain and all of the suffering of your life? If you thought that somebody was telling you that Jesus was Father Christmas. And Jesus is not Father Christmas. Jesus is God. And following God has consequences. And one of those consequences is suffering for your faith. Living a life that is so bright and white in a dark and decaying world that the death of the world will try and put the light out. But it can't. We must embrace it if we are to learn to live effectively in a society that doesn't want suffering. Paul was told when he started his ministry... I will show you how much you will suffer for my name's sake. Imagine that, you know, coming into Jesus and saying, okay, let me sit you down. Let me explain to you just how much you are going to go through, how much you are going to suffer for my name's sake, just because you believe in me. And Paul suffered a lot. You can go through some of the books in the in, in Corinthians and he lists off, I was stoned, I was shipwrecked, I was beaten, you know, I was hungry, I had nowhere to sleep. And he goes through and talks about he was in chains. You know, he was just just a ball of joy and love in the midst of all the pain. We're sold in, 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 uh, in uh, First Peter chapter 4, four verses 1 or 2. He said, therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin that he no longer should live the rest of his life, the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. And what he's saying here, he says, look, get ready at the beginning of your Christian walk to embrace this whole idea that it's going to be difficult. It's going to produce some level of suffering in your life. Get ready with that idea, that notion. For James Bamford to walk in Christianity, he's got to embrace the idea this is going to cost him somewhere along the line. It's going to cost him dearly. He's going to find that he had to stand up and make a stand in front of people who maybe not accept that. And then when he makes that stand, he's going to get rejected. He's going to get, maybe he'll get abused. Maybe he'll get spoken against. Or maybe he'll get thumped. Maybe he'll get pushed around. He may even get killed. But he has to accept it as he begins his walk. He has to accept that that's a probability. A very serious probability in Christ. That this has got to be something that you embrace to the death. Not something that you embrace because it gives you what you want in life. Something you embrace because it is right and it is true. And you should arm yourselves to do that. And then in that process, as we begin to walk the Christian life, then we learn that suffering means that we have to be obedient to God. And that usually means an internal suffering because it means I have to say no to myself. No to the things that I want to do. No to the things that I used to do. 
I used to go and do those things and I would like to do those things because they felt good for my body when I did those things. But God says that those things are sin, so I can't do those things anymore. I have to say no to myself. I have to say no. I have to hate my life so I can live my life. I have to hate that whole thing. I have to turn away from it. And that's the personal suffering. If I've learned to suffer in my body and I've learned to deal with this, then I will say no to sin. If I think that Christianity has to be sweet and pleasing for me, has to be nice and smooth for me, then I won't say no to sin because it pleases me. In the end of the my Christianity is self-centered and not Christ-centered. Our Christianity must be God-centered, where God is in the middle, what he wants is in the middle. When the Lord Jesus says, obey me, we say, yours is the will that I will obey. Not my will, but thine be done. Not my will, but I'll do what you want me to do, Jesus. And even if I don't like it, I will do it. And that may mean get up in the morning and take a bit of a walk and get down and then sit down with your Bible and pray and say, it's cold. It may mean turn the TV off, go into your room and open the Bible and start to read your Bible. It may mean stay up later at night and pray on your knees a little longer for somebody you want to pray for. It may mean putting yourself in hardship so that you can do the will of God. That's just part of it. That's what you embraced when you became a Christian. And if you weren't told that at the beginning, you were told something that was not quite correct. The great thing about suffering is we have choices in suffering. We, we, it's not like we are sitting there and suffering just comes upon us and we have no control over our lives or what happens to us. We have choices in suffering. The first choice that we have is we can choose what we suffer for. We can choose what we suffer for. You can suffer for good or you can suffer for evil. And that's a choice that you make. That's a choice that I make. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 3, A prudent man sees danger approaching and takes refuge, but the simple keeps going and suffers for it. So it's simple. It's like this. you know. If you know that if you keep doing something that is wrong you will suffer because of it. So a wise man says, you know, that behavior is not what God wants me to do. I'm going to stop that behavior now so that I don't suffer because of that behavior. A, a wise man says, I will suffer now and say no to myself so that I don't suffer later when I am found out for sinning. Or when the the, the, the results of my sin come and bite me. So I have a choice. I can suffer for doing the right thing or I can suffer for doing the wrong thing. That's my choice. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2.20, but how is it that to your credit if you receive a beating for doing the wrong and endure it? You know? So you get disciplined, you go to jail, you get, a, you get beaten up because you broke the law. I mean, why is that righteous? He says, that's not righteous. He says, you're just getting what you deserve. He said, but if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, it's commendable before God. He says, you know, I would choose the commendable act, not the, not the one that, you know, you know, what's the opposite of commendable? Despicable act. Peter, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, he said, it's better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. You know, we think, of, some people think, I, I sometimes think 
I can do the wrong thing just as long as I don't get caught because I don't think that the suffering is implicit in it. I think that pleasure, sin is pleasurable for the season. If I keep doing the sinful thing, I can get away with it and not incur the suffering. That's the deception. When sin comes knocking at your door, it comes in a package. The package is usually very brightly colored and it's very entertaining and it's very inviting. But as you unpackage the package, it says, these are the consequences for doing that. And that comes in the package. You don't see it at the beginning because you just take the package and say, look at that, he's really nice. Look what I got. My little sin. Oh, is it cute, cutie pie sin? You know, and then it bites you because sin often bites you. It always bites you. That's part of the package. So now you've done your bad thing and you're feeling sorry because you did the bad thing. You have to go and ask Jesus to forgive you. You have to ask for cleansing. You have to confess it. You have to pay restitution if you have to pay restitution. You have to fix it up. You have to decide in your mind not to do it again. So that whole thing is part of the package. So when that little very tempting thing comes and sits on your table and says, why don't you play with me? Just remember the whole package. The whole package. If you want to come back to God, you have to get rid of the whole package. And it's involved in the package is suffering. Better to deal with that now and decide to suffer for doing the right thing than for doing the wrong thing. The second choice that we have with regard to suffering is the focus that we have in our suffering. You know, when suffering hits us, sometimes we don't ask for the suffering to hit us. It's like when sickness sometimes comes upon you. It may not be that you've done anything wrong to produce that sickness. It may be just because you're living in a fallen world and you ate some wrong stuff and you got sick. You know, you're going to vomit. Oh, it's coming. Careful. You're going to be sick now. What's your focus in the sickness? Oh, I'm going to die. I hate God. Oh, I hate Kentucky Fried Chicken. Oh. What's your focus? You have a choice. You, have a, you could afford Kentucky Fried Chicken. You got sick from Kentucky Fried Chicken. You could afford to buy it. Well, you know, enjoy the sickness. You know, think about it. What's your focus in the suffering? Now, here's Paul. He's in chains. You remember that Paul's been told how much he will suffer. Now, this is the point of time when the suffering's starting to really hit him and bite him. This is towards the end of his life. Now, he's been taken and he, he's been taken in court and he says, I, I'll, he's falsely accused and he says, I want to appeal to Caesar because I'm a Roman citizen. So they said, are you okay? You appeal to Caesar? That's in the back of the book of Acts. He says, to Caesar you will go. And so they put him in chains and they lock him up and they take him to... Rome, where he's in jail now, waiting to be executed. And while he's in jail, he can't do anything about the church that he's founded. And he hears in the church that he's founded that there's certain people going around and they're preaching the gospel for their selfish ambitions. You know, I want to preach the Bible because I look good when I preach that Bible. You know, get that Bible down there. I'm looking really good. And you're giving me money, so I'm feeling rich and wealthy, and it's all for me. And he hears that people are actually preaching for selfish ambition, not for God. And you would think that would frustrate him because he would start to think to himself, oh, no, you know, the work that I've done is now being destroyed by the devil. There's somebody in the church who's actually setting a wrong precedent there, and it's going to go bad. You'd think 
that would be bad. Well, what's the Paul doing here? He's got a different focus. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry and others preach out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am here put in the defense of the gospel. That's why he's in jail. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. Like I can't do anything about it and I'm going to get really upset because they're doing this while I can't correct them. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice. You see what his focus was. He says, I don't care why you're preaching him. I don't care whether you're preaching him because you've got selfish motives or whether you've got good motives. You know, in the end, I'm just glad you're preaching him. He'll sort you out later. I'm going to rejoice. I'm having a good focus because, listen, you know, I'm in my chains. I don't want to be sad and glum here. And if you read the book of Philippians, it's one of the most um, resilient uh, accounts. Uh, you see his resilience in that book. He just, he just rises up over every obstacle through the book. He's rejoicing in the Lord all the time. Take Job. Job, is, he was suffering. He's, if you read the book of Job, it's a long book, 40-odd something chapters. And it's all about Job. He's a righteous man and, he, and suffering came upon him. He lost his kids. He lost his life, livelihood. He lost everything. And his wife comes to him at the very lowest point of his life when he's sitting on a whole pile of ashes and he's covered with boils. And these are what he said. You know, his wife said to him, are you still going to hold on to your integrity? Curse God and die. You know, get angry at God and then just, die and he replied that you are talking like a foolish woman shall we accept good from god and not trouble and all this job did not sin with what he said you know his focus was that even though he was going through so much pain and suffering he knew that his redeemer was alive he knew that god was in control and he knew that god was doing something and he wasn't going to curse god and die his focus was right even in the midst of it all. So when everything goes bad for you, when everything is looking really glum, when you don't get the results that you want in the excitement, when things are not the way that you'd very much to be, what's your, what's your focus? What's your focus? Are you saying, oh, well, I can work harder or I can... Or do you get really angry and frustrated and you can't control your emotions and people have to say, well, you better walk away from them. They've just got some bad news and if you go anywhere near them, they're going to... You know, we can change our focus. And, and, and David showed us this in Psalm 77. In the first part of this psalm, you, you hear David calling out to the Lord. I cried out to God for help. I cried out for God to hear me. When I was in distress, I sought for the Lord at night. I stretched out untiring hands and my souls refused to be comforted, he said. He's got problems inside. I remembered, O oh God, and I groaned, I mused, and my spirit grew faint. Stop and think of that. He was, he was there and he's in agony and he's getting tighter and tighter because he feels the pain you kept my eyes from closing so he can't sleep i was too troubled to speak he couldn't talk about it i thought about the former days the years of long ago and i thought about the former days and the years of long ago he says will the lord reject forever will he never show his favor again he says has his unfailing love vanished forever has his promise failed for all time has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? He's in a state. He's really 
in a state. His focus is all on the negative. And he says, Sila, which means stop and think about this. And he obviously did because the next thing he says, Then I thought, to this will I appeal, the years of the right hand of the Most High. Now when it talks about the right hand of the Most High, it talks about the blessing of God. So he stopped and he says, you know, I'm thinking bad things here and I've got to a point where I, I just don't think God loves me anymore. I don't think he's around anymore. I think he's left me. I think he's abandoned me. I, I don't think that he's hearing me anymore. I think that I'm in such a deep hole. You know... That's me thinking all that stuff. I'm going to stop now. I've got a choice in my suffering. And my choice is with regard to focus. And I'm going to decide in the midst of my suffering to change my focus. And I'm going to think about God. And I'm going to think about the blessing of God, the right hand of God. And then he starts to talk about the deeds that the Lord has done. And he talks about how the miracles were so great that he did in the past. And in the end he says, what God is so great as our God. His whole focus has changed. The suffering has not gone away. What he did is he he made a choice in the midst of his suffering. He made a choice to change his focus. The third choice that we have with regard to suffering is with regard to our attitudes. We can have and adopt a different attitude. Different focus is what you see. Attitude is what you're thinking. They're close, but they're different. Choices with regard to our attitudes in suffering. The attitude changes everything. You know that. Here's the being attitude. A be attitude. It says, blessed are those who, who are persecuted. Now, that's a thought. It's a statement that God's, Jesus is saying to you, look, if you are persecuted, you ought to be really happy. The word blessed is the word happy. Happy are those who are persecuted. Sounds a bit odd, doesn't it? It says, happy are those when you are reviled and persecuted and they say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. You know, be happy. That's a, that's a thinking change. So it means that when James Bamford runs into trouble at school because he decided to say that he believed in, that God was the creator of all humanity and he said it to somebody who was a humanist who was believing in Darwinism and that person was bigger and stronger and mightier and uglier than James and decided to push James around. At the point when he's getting pushed around, if he has a right attitude and he's thinking the right thing, he's saying, well, bring it on. Now I'm really happy. You know why I'm really happy? Because I'm actually suffering for Jesus. And that means I'm blessed. It's not a negative thing. It's a good thing. It's a good thing to get bashed up for Jesus. It's a great thing. That's the only reason why you'd get back up after you've been bashed down. It's the only reason why Graham would stand back up on the box after he'd been knocked down off the box. It hasn't happened yet. It's coming. It's the only reason why you keep on doing that stuff because there's a reward. The blessing is that God is looking at it and he's saying, that's good, well done, well done. You know, when you're playing in the sports, sometimes it's difficult in sports because it gets rough in sports. You know it gets rough in sports. You can be playing on a basketball team and the kids can be in the basketball team can be bigger than you and they'd be pushing you around. You know, you can be running and you can get knocked down to the floor and you have to get back up. You can get knocked down again you have to get back up. And halfway through the match you might be saying, I can't keep on going. I can't keep on doing what I'm doing. It just hurts too much to keep doing the thing that I'm doing. It hurts too much. You know, and... But there's this thing, inside of you, you've got to win. 
There's this thing inside of you that says, it's important to keep on going. So you get back up and you keep on going. And you know when you do that, everybody around you is saying, yay, go for it, go for it. And they see the strength that you're, you're expressing and they are with you in that. It's like the marathon who runs. And they're dropping at the end of the race. They can hardly get to the finish line. They've given everything. They've spent their whole self. And yet they pull themselves up, shaking legs, running like this, running towards the end. They can't even make it. And everybody on the stand is standing up. Go, go. They're not saying stop, have a rest, take, take the pain. They say push yourself even further now. That's like, that's like God saying here, when you start getting persecuted for the faith, he's saying, yes. You understand it now. An attitude shift. This is what James says. Consider it pure joy, brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. Yeah, that's a different wrinkle. It's completely different to our world. Be very unhappy when things are not the way you'd want them to be. James says, be very happy when things are not the way you want them to be. Turn to the neighbor and say, be very happy when things are not the way you want them to be. Young people, I didn't see you do this. Turn around and say to the person beside you, be very happy when you can't get your own way. Say it again. The more you've got nobody to say that to. Olivia, turn around to Demore and say, be very happy when you can't get your own way. It's, it's not what we want, is it? We don't want to hear that. But that's an attitude change. Acts chapter 5 verses 41 tells us that the apostles left the Sanhedrin because rejoicing because they had been counted worthy to suffer disgrace for his name. So what had happened? They had gone out preaching just like we did the street preachers. They had gone out preaching out the streets. And they'd taken them and they'd locked them up in the, in the Woodridge jail and they got a big stick and they beat them with the sticks. And they said, now you can go. Well, they, they came to church the next day with all the big welts over them, happy. Happy. Why? Because they were counted worthy to suffer for Jesus. You know, in China, you're not really mature in your Christian walk until you've been beaten up for your faith. So those who are considered to be pillars in the church in China are those who can tell you about how often they have been beaten for their faith. It's like a badge that they wear. I get beaten for my faith. And you really haven't got your Christianity together in China until it's so bright that you get beaten for it. That's a different wrinkle. Yeah, we could learn a few things, couldn't we, Graham? The fourth thing is the choice with regard to our behavior in suffering. So, look, we've got to focus. What are we seeing? We've got a choice to suffer whether we do wrong or right. We've got a choice uh, with regard to our focus, how we set our minds in terms of you know, the things that we see, how we focus on things. We've got to... A choice with regard to the way we think. And now we have a choice with regard to the way we behave in suffering. Of course, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 and 9, it says, Finally, all of you should be of one mind, having compassion for one another, love as brothers, 
be tender-hearted, be courteous. And then it says these words, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling. Back in New Guinea, uh, there's this thing called the payback. When I got married, um, I, I was under the impression that I was marrying an Australian girl. There she is. I better look at her while I'm doing this. So, but Jenny spent most of her life in New Guinea, so she's black on the inside and white on the outside. So she has strong Papua New Guinean beliefs. One of those strong Papua New Guinean beliefs is payback. They have a very strong belief in payback. You do something wrong to me and I'll get you back. You do something wrong for me and I'll make you pay. <laughs> so in my life, you know, when I started, to, I would do something and she said, right. And that was a little, that was the signet. It was like, right. That when, you knew, when you hear right from Jenny saying right, it, you need to watch out because she's coming to get you back. Oh, yeah, this, this payback will work later on. <laughs> yep, she's not. And you see, you see, now this is true. You see, see you can see it's true. And I love her for it. It's because I kiss her and doesn't have pay me back. <laughs> but the Bible says if somebody's nasty to you, don't be nasty to them back. If they speak against you, don't speak against them. If they do something that's horrible, you don't actually return that horrible thing back. It's not like, you know, you did that to me, so I'm going to do this to you. You defrauded me, so I'm going to defraud you. You spoke bad against me, so I'm going to speak bad against you. You did this bad thing to me, I'm going to do this bad thing to you. I'm going to do this to you because you did that to me. The Bible says you don't have to make those choices when you are suffering. When you are in suffering, when you are in pain, when somebody does something wrong to you, you do not have to take a choice to do the wrong thing back. Doing the wrong thing back to somebody who's wronged you is not the right thing. Two wrongs don't make a right. So in suffering, you have a choice with regard to your behavior. Look, I know that it's, this is difficult for, for me because when somebody hits me, I want to hit them back. I usually say something like this. Make it very good because if I can get back up, I may not turn the other cheek. I, that's only to scare them because I do turn the other cheek. I'm not, I, you know, those who want to try that out, don't try that out. It's not. I, I have a scripture to support my weakness, and that's dangerous. It says, For as much as is within you, live peaceably with all men. And I'm going to say, Oh, there's not much in me. You see, that's a dangerous one because fullness of God lives in you. And if the fullness of God lives in you by Jesus Christ, you have everything that you need for life and godliness so you can return blessing for cursing. There is no excuse. So we have a choice with regard to behavior when we suffer. So what are the benefits of suffering? Uh, the benefits, yes, we're told that when you are getting disciplined and God says consider suffering is discipline. I mean, we can't really do much about suffering. It's going to be there. It's going to always be there. And it's always going to be part of our lives. We can't escape it. To the day that we die, at the point of death, we will have embraced suffering. That's it. So when we get to this place, 
God says, look, you've got to have a good view of suffering. It's like discipline. If you're out getting disciplined, you know that discipline produces a good thing. You know, you get up in the morning and you run around the block. Got to run around the block. Why are you running around the block? I know it's cold. It's hard for me to run around the block in the morning. Why? My knees are sore. You know, it's, Carlos told me I have to do this. If I have to do, I have to keep on doing this for 100 years. Why? So I can be slim <laughs> and be strong and please Carlos. So I have to keep on doing this because I pay to do this, you know. And, it, and he says, eat the pain. He says, push yourself, push yourself. When I go and practice with Carlos, and I don't do that because he'll hurt me. Um, he makes it, how many people work out with Carlos? Put your hand over here. Put your hand up high so I can see you. Is it pleasurable? Bless Carlos, Jesus. <laughs> Why? Because the discipline is the thing that you think about. Carlos is a personal trainer, so Carlos is going to make you discipline yourself. He's going to make you do something that your body doesn't want to do. He's going to make you push yourself further than you think you can go. He wants to show you that you can get stronger. He wants to make your body stronger. So the, the discipline is going to produce a good outcome in you. You're going to be stronger. Kath feels stronger now. She feels she can lift heavy weights and run around the block with him because she's gone to Carlos. Carlos has made her strong. So that's good. It produces a good thing. And so our fathers disciplined for us a while as though they saw him best. But God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. So God is the personal trainer. He, he puts us into situations where we have to go and push ourselves past our limits because he's our personal trainer. He's training us so that we can, we can partake in his holiness. He says, no discipline seems pleasant at a time, but painful. It's not pleasant, it's painful, but it yields. It produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. The benefit comes as you learn to go through the training. So all of the suffering that you've gone through, and everyone, some of our African brothers and sisters have gone through suffering that you can't even imagine, and some of you in Australia have gone through suffering that I can't even imagine, and I've gone through suffering that you can't even imagine. So we've all eaten up suffering. We've all been there. We've all eaten that up. We all know what that's about. But in the end of the exercise, are we better because of it? Has it made us richer in God? Has it made us more holy, more righteous, more like Jesus? That's what it's for. If you have that view, it's the best thing. James chapter 1 verses 2 to 4 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Then it says, Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. God's desire is that he goes and puts us through those hard things in our lives so that we become strong and mature. Look, um, most of the problems in adult life are because we didn't learn the lessons when we were younger. Think about that. The worst kind of adult... The worst kind of old man like me is an old man who acts like a teenager. 
who thinks he's a teenager, who hasn't learned that he has to be a man, an adult man. If I'd learned the lessons when I was a teenager that God wanted me to learn when I was a teenager, I wouldn't have to do those same things when I'm an old man. What do teenagers do? They're in for the fun, the party. They, they push the boundaries. They risk. They do a lot of things which are risky. They're trying to find their identity. They're trying to find out who they are. They're trying to see, you know, this is me. I'm not my mother. I'm not my father. I'm me. I, I, I believe what I believe. You know, I'm me. Look at me. I'm here. I'm it. I'll do what I want to do, you know, and they're looking for the fun. That's the worst thing when you see that in a 60-year-old man or a 50-year-old man. Hey, it looks just disgusting. You know, teenagers grow up to become adults who take on responsibility. And they say, you know what? It's not all about me. It's about what I'm doing here. It's about finding someone else in my life. It's about building a family. It's about training young children. It's about passing on my heritage to other ones. And this, they've grown up. Let the lessons of discipline train us, learn, get this perseverance. So we've looked at these, these four things, choices that in regard to what we suffer, choices in regard to the focus in our suffering, choices with regard to our attitudes in the suffering, and choices with regard to our behavior in the suffering. They are the things that God has in store for us with suffering. It is not such a bad thing to suffer. If you have the right mind, you can't avoid the suffering. It is going to be with you all the time. But think about it. You can lose your mind trying to get away from it. Embrace it and let it teach you. Let it give you character. Let it give you strength. Our society says, be happy. Happiness is the best idea. You can lose everything you have in the pursuit of happiness. Because the minute you think that you got it, it disappears. Ask the men who run off with other women why they did it. They married a woman because they thought this woman was going to give them happiness. They run off with another woman because they're not happy with their wife anymore. They're looking for happiness somewhere else. Happiness, the pursuit of happiness, is the beginning of all evils. Obedience. Pursue obedience, even if you suffer because of it. By pursuing obedience, you'll gain real joy. Let's pray. Father, we ask you to help us to grasp this truth. Lord, as we look at the human condition, we see that suffering is such an integral part of it, Lord, and you are not silent with regard to suffering. Lord, we are not alone in this. You send us the Holy Spirit who is the comforter. He stands with us and walks with us and talks with us and helps us to carry the heavy load of suffering. Lord Jesus, you said that you came to Walk with us through this life so that we could be overcomers. We could overcome in the suffering. Help us to, Lord, not suffer for doing wrong, but for doing right, Father. Help us, Lord Jesus, to get a right, get a right focus about the circumstances around us. Help us to think right, Father. 
help us to do right, we pray. In Jesus' mighty name, and everyone said, Amen. God bless you.